Down the right field line. Pretty well hit. LaVarne way. It's the right way here tonight. Yogi Berra said it's 90% mental. The other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarneway, major league catcher and minor league grinder. And I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Hey guys, welcome to Finding the Way. This is Ryan LaVarnway, and today I am joined by Stuart Singer. Stuart has worked as the sports psychology consultant for the NBA's Washington Wizards, the WNBA's 2019 World Champion Washington Mystics, as well as a bunch of basketball teams in the college ranks, including the University of Maryland basketball team that went to the Final Four. His strategy is to help with the mental side Uh, because when you are better in your brain, when you are better on the inside, you're going to get the best results, especially under the most intense circumstances. Stu, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Um, So you've had the opportunity to work with people in the college ranks, people in the pro ranks, a lot of basketball, it seems like, but also a lot of people or maybe at least one specific team in the esports industry. can you talk to me about the difference between maybe college athletes versus pro athletes, basketball athletes versus gamers? Is there a certain group that you enjoy working with more, or is there a certain group that that has different characteristics that you coach a little bit differently? Uh, great questions. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know if I have like who I prefer the most, but there's definite differences. Um, I think at the college level, what you find are, you know, obviously young people away from home, maybe for the first time and in the in the setting of learning. So there's there's a little bit more um, like of that approach, basically, to what you're doing. There's just a little bit more of it. And they've had great success at the high school level, but maybe they're starting to, you know, kind of feel what it feels like to have it at the national level in in terms of, you know, playing for a collegiate program um, or not yet. And and so, you know, for me, what I see with the younger athletes is just a little bit more like share with me because I'm not necessarily sure. The thing with pro athletes, um, and you may uh, have, this may resonate with you, is that whatever um they've done mentally has been part of what allowed them to get to the professional level and and which doesn't always mean it's actually particularly healthy or effective it just their skill set maybe was was so strong that it that allowed them to get there now they're at a level where everybody's basically an outlier and and they may find out that the the mind actually has wasn't what got them there the hard part is, is saying, hey, you've had all this amazing success and I'm trying to redirect some of the ways that you've been thinking over the years. Um, so it's a different level of challenge. Um, I will say um, with the 25 plus year old athlete, there starts to become this real clarity of man, the mind's actually super important. Younger than that, it's a very body dominated process. Like I'm skillful, I'm strong, I'm fast. 
Um, and then if there's some point that there's like probably a clarity and a, uh, maybe an emotional maturity that says, wait a second, I've, I've focused so long on the body. I think it's time for me to focus a little bit on the mind. And to me, those are the massive differences, but, but yet I don't think I like one level more than another. It's, they're just different. That's interesting. It, it sounds like you're saying that you, they go through like a, a roller coaster of willingness to listen and willingness to be coached. At the college ranks, they're they're in the mindset of I'm learning in every aspect of my life. I'm learning in the classroom. I'm learning the technical skills on the, on the court, and I also want to work on the mindset. And then they go pro, and they're like, now now I'm really good. I've gotten here. I want to stick to what I'm doing until they get to a point of maybe a little bit more more emotional maturity, like you said. And now I now I realize I do need that mental skill set. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. And, you know, believe me when I say this, there are college athletes that want nothing to do with it. And there are pro athletes that from day one yeah. are please anything I can get. So I don't want to overgeneralize. But but I, I would say that um, that in general, that's kind of the, the nuanced differences between the two. I can totally recognize that. I know that in my career and in, with my teammates and my experiences talking to, to coaches in the big leagues, especially as I got farther along in my career as I had more experience I had you know eight seasons with big league time nine ten seasons with big league times I was always the guy that was hungry for anything that could help me get better I was I crave it I want to be coached but I found that coaches were hesitant to coach me especially when I got to new teams until they got to know me because Mm -hmm. I think and I I even asked I said well if if I have this deficiency why am I not being coached in this area and it could have been a physical skill it could have been a mental skill but the coaches would say well you've had all this success I don't want to come try to change you because I recognize the things that you've done well and you've done things to get you to this level so I can totally see where in your experience as the coach you don't want to step on anyone's toes or you want to at least earn their trust, earn their respect before you start, start to change things. Completely, you know, and, and I love that topic really. I actually believe that nothing matters more than, than allowing somebody to feel like you hear them, get them, um, that you're listening and, uh, and that they can trust you. Then we can deliver X's and O's or we can deliver, more information, more content. But I I really believe that until we get to the point where you've proven that you're there to help um, and to listen and to, you know, just enhance whatever they already are, um, nothing else, it it won't get through. It just won't get through. I have, I have one funny story and I want to let you be the star of this episode, but I think this, this story is funny. When I've got to the major league camp for the first time, I had a hitting coach that on the first day of spring training, it was the first time that I had ever worked with him and it was his first year with the Red Sox, but he himself was a terrific, terrific player. He was maybe top three in the history of major league baseball for having home runs by a switch hitter. So he was a terrific player. He shows up to spring training and and I'm coming off two back-to-back minor league offensive player of the year. So I, I had had some, some success. I wasn't certainly an established big leaguer yet. But I felt com- comfortable in what I was doing. And on the first day of practice, he tried to change my swing. And I, for the first time in my life, felt like I had ground to stand on to, to say, wait a second, can you watch me for more than five swings before you try to change something? And 
I feel like looking back, I was trying to be as polite and respectful as possible. But when I heard the story from another hitting coach later, he said, did you tell Jilly to shut the fuck up in a really nice way? (laughs) (laughs) So that, so that ended up coming back around. Um, But one thing I've heard you say is that the elite of the elite that you've had the pleasure of working with, they are not the best because they are perfect. They're elite because of how they approach their imperfections and they accept that they're, they are imperfect and they do whatever it takes to improve and they're open to new things to help them. What, how have you, what have you found the difference? You said that you've worked with people that are more willing and less willing. What have you found about the best of the best that you've worked with? And do you have a specific example you could share? Well, I mean, I, uh, I appreciate that you pulled that quote out because it is something that I really, it, it, it has held true over the years, which is, you know, and it's crazy to think about this, but really what often makes people really, really good is not so much that they're just gifted um, with talent. It's their willingness to be, and I'm going to use the word vulnerable to the idea that I'm not ever fully a finished product um i use the example with with myself if you would have said if you would have asked me five years if you if we knew each other five years ago and you said hey are you good at what you do i would you know in a, in the, as humbly as i could could say that i would say yeah i think i'm i'm really good at this work but i know i'm better now than i was then but that doesn't mean i was bad then it just means that i wanted to learn and grow and and consume as much as i possibly could ask for feedback actually from the people that that i'm working with um and i'll tell you that i know for a fact 5 years from now i'll be better than i am today even though i feel today that i i'm i'm good at what i do and but it's not about that you know like being embarrassed or shame or have shame about where I am today. It's just, I know that I'm that hungry to learn more about this. Now I'm be honest, not everything in my life. Am I that hungry to learn about, but this thing is my thing. And because of it, uh, I had that passion to learn more about it. And, and I would say the same exact thing holds true with, you know, with the kind of the elite of the elite that, that I work with, um, and I, you know, I can use an example and I can use this example because, um, this, this athlete has talked, uh, very openly in interviews and, and, and everything about the experience, but, um, Elena Deladon, who plays for us with the Washington mystics. Um, but she, she came to us from Chicago and she was already a league MVP. She had already a gold medal, um, you know, a USA basketball player, um she was already rookie of the year she you know like her accolades were put her in the top five probably in in the game but when she got to us this was the first time that being exposed to sports psych in in a program or team that she was with and and she said let's let's do this i want to learn and and we did and we worked together i think for at that point that may have been i don't know 2017 and by 2019, we had, we had won WNBA championship, but she was also league MVP, and she became um, uh, the first um, female to get into the 50-40-90 um, club, which is 50% from the field, 40 from three, and 90% from from the foul line. Wow! Um, and it, it was all male athletes, uh, uh, basketball players prior to that, and um, she easily could have just said, I'm not doing anything beyond what I want to do. And, 
everybody in the organization would have allowed that. That you know how that goes, right? There are certain yeah, what, people that kind of yeah. When you're playing well, no one to. talks to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and so, anyways, that that could have been, but instead, she knew that there was like this much that she could get to um, that she hadn't accessed, and because of it, but she was already elite. So when I say the elite, elite, I, I really believe that that's the mindset, and it kind of plays out across sport, across gender. There's a fascination with growth rather than, you know, worry, let's say, about what will others think or, you know, what will this mean even? And if it doesn't work, they don't have to continue. So there's really no no harm. You're, you're kind of saying that a stigma still exists in in some small way. And I think we're overcoming it as a society, but we're still not all the way there yet. So you're saying that they're not afraid of, of a stigma. They're not afraid of what people might think. All they care about is getting the results and any method to get there. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, and, and I, I, I do, I agree with you. I think the stigma is infinitely smaller than it will. I mean, from the time that I began this work till now, it is absolutely smaller. We talk about it, uh, mental health in, in a way that we never have before. Uh, you know, sports psych certainly is something that almost all sports uh, pro, pro teams at least uh, are have on staff. But it still, I think, is way behind where we, you know, like how we might think about strength and conditioning as opposed to let's call this mental conditioning. Like we're we're 20 years probably still behind um, in terms of the acceptance just across the board. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, well, there's another quote that I have from you that I, I really want to dig into because it's so refreshing and so contrarian to what you would normally think. Uh-oh. I know you don't know where I'm going with this yet, but uh, I, I think you're going to appreciate it. So on another podcast, you were quoted as saying, I really don't even care what Michael Jordan did. I'm not trying to make the next Michael Jordan. What worked for him is not going to work for somebody else. He is a study of one. So if someone wrote a book on what Michael Jordan did, he's an outlier of all outliers. My job is to find what's going to work for the individual that I'm working with. And that's so refreshing to me because... How many times have we heard like this person was the best? You should be just like him. Yeah, I mean, and let me just say flat out, Michael Jordan was by far my hero growing up. I was a huge North Carolina fan. I became a huge Jordan fan in the NBA. Like, I don't get me wrong, love the guy, and he's still the best of the best in in my opinion. Saying that, personality does not scale fundamentals scale so honestly as much as everybody accepted that he was was dominant and and if you crossed him in any way he was absolutely going to remember that and and come back for you from it but i would say that most of the things that he discusses actually were not things that i would suggest scale they worked for him but they did not and would not scale, meaning that if you and I tried to do exactly what he did, it probably would not work for us. It worked for his personality, but it would not work necessarily for us. Now, Kobe Bryant. um, The Mamba mentality. The Mamba mentality, right? So I wasn't necessarily a, a Kobe fan in terms of basketball, but in his later years, when he, you know, was cl- closer to retirement um, and then in retirement, um, 
and and I said this, um, and it was a really difficult time because um, I was working with the the Wizards when he passed, and and a lot of the guys were friends with him, and or were you know kind of he was a legend even in 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 the NBA, right, with players. And it was a difficult time, and I expressed the the idea that I actually believe that his um, second act was becoming more important and bigger than his first act. And we know how great his first act, you know, being a great player was. Yeah. But I think his advocacy for for women uh, sports, female sports, was massive. And I think his um, commitment to being a great dad for his kids was great. But he started to talk about mindset and it was really opening up people to to listen, talk about mindset. And the thing about Kobe is if you go and you read anything about his mindset, and I'm sure that there are some quotes out there that I would say, mm, I don't know about that one, but I would tell you that 90% of the stuff that he did would scale. Now, you and I could not be Kobe Bryant. His He, he was completely dedicated to his craft be, uh, where other pro athletes were marveled at, at what he did mentally. But most of what he talked about was actually very, very, very much rooted in science of the brain and, and what I would call pretty sound sports psychology fundamentals. So don't try to be Kobe, but listen to the fundamentals. The fundamentals were very strong. That can scale. And so when I said that uh, on that pod, that's what I was referencing. Can we get into what some of those fundamentals are? So anyone listening can, can have a solid takeaway from this. What are the fundamentals that, that either Kobe talks about or that you talk about in your coaching sessions? Yeah, I, I mean, this is going to be, um, it's not going <laughs> to, I don't mean it this way, but I'm going to say, I, I have three core principles that I teach every athlete that I work with, every team that I work with. And um, here they are. The first one is that we perform play function in the present. So to be really, really um, committed to being where we are right now, you and I are talking, having uh, a conversation on this. So where we should be is together with one another right now. We shouldn't be thinking about what had happened earlier today, nor should we be thinking about what we have later today. We should be as committed to this conversation as we possibly can be. So to keep our minds present, and I can go into more deeply in a moment why that matters. But first is to do that. He talked all the time about being present. Two is to give all of your attention to what you actually have control over. Um, and honestly, we have very limited control over almost anything that happens to us. Um, and really what we do have control over is process. Kobe was outrageously processed focused, right? His, his um, infamous um, workouts were all about process, right? If I can get really, really good at all these fundamentals, I will be better than you. If I can get in the weight room, if I can be conditioned, these are all, these are all process focused things. They're not outcome focused. <clears throat> They're process focused. And then lastly, that we detach from what I call the judgments as if it is a proper noun. Um, and there are three judgments that I find most, and, and you could potentially tell me your, your, uh, how this resonates with you. But the first one is self-criticism. That's the first judgment. Um, most 
uh, athletes are outrageously self-critical uh, of themselves, like typically almost harder on themselves than anybody else in their in their world. Uh, two is the judgment of others, however, so thinking about what others are thinking. And then lastly, comparison. And um, again, Kobe was amazingly good at at being self-driven, self-focused and and not necessarily listening to the to the criticism. And um, and then lastly, with all of this is the the idea of acceptance and um you know, I've numerous interviews and and uh, that he was in where he talked about the idea of rather than trying to fight off that we can have moments of self-doubt or lack of motivation or fear of failure, uh, rather accept it, uh, invite it in, um, but then be able to work with it and understand, well, where's that coming from? And once we understand where it's coming from, now we can work with it. But if we try to reject or deny something that is actually natural, right? Fear is a natural emotion. There's, you know, um, no reason why we won't feel the whole range of emotions in life. That's what makes us human. Fear is just one of those emotions. And so if we try to reject it, we make it actually larger by, by trying to deny it rather than saying, yes, I feel that thing. Now what? Wow. That, that fourth one resonates with me a lot and that's something that I haven't been very good at for myself but it's something that I recognize when I'm when I'm coaching youth athletes or high school athletes uh one example is is a a kid that's now he's in his 20s and he's become a good friend of mine he was taking his finals and he had SATs coming up and he couldn't even focus on baseball when we were in the cage and he and he broke down and was crying and was embarrassed but I was like these everything you're feeling, the pressure you're putting on yourself, this is real. This is a yep. human emotion. And yep. it's, I think when you care about someone, it's a lot easier to recognize that what they're feeling is real and what they're feeling is genuine and authentic. And it's a lot easier in yourself. I mean, I, I found that it's, I'm harder on myself and I don't want to feel those things when they are human and they are authentic. And you, if you can sit with it, that's a, that's a great way to put it is accept it, sit with it, and then you could work on it or work with it. Yeah, I mean, if you think of emotion, we, for whatever reason, we've labeled some emotions. Some emotions are good emotions, joy, happiness, right? Uh, if we consider confidence and emotion, uh, they're all the good ones. And then we have bad ones. And I would argue that emotion is none of that it just is they're just they're just signals right they're signals of what's what you're experiencing and then you get to kind of work with or you know um stay with it as much as you can right so the reality is is the most joyful moments that you've ever had in life leave right i mean they're awesome enjoy it you know you win a, a championship have a blast, enjoy it. But the reality is within a few days, life will go on and you'll realize like, oh shit, it's not over. I didn't reach the end point, right? I got to get back to work. Yeah. And truthfully, not a lot changes. I mean, maybe some doors open up because of it, but the reality is not a lot changes and vice versa. Your, your worst um, experiences, the greatest heartbreak, heartache that you have, it sucks. Um, but 
that's the appropriate emotion, right? If you had a massive loss or you um, had a bad breakup, whatever it was, that's appropriate to feel that experience. And yet you'll find that over time, slowly but surely, we kind of come out of that and, and we get back to, to the things that we have to do. Um, so really neither is good or bad. They just are. And the better we can get with accepting that that they're all going to show up and that's what makes us human, the better we're going to get at regulating how we experience emotions. And I'm just going to say this side note, the more that we as coaches live, not just express, but live the idea that I also can experience emotion. So when you're talking to that young man, being able to say like, yeah, I've gone through that. I've felt that before and allow them to, to look at you probably would mentor somebody that looked up to and you acknowledge it. It, it then allows him the, the kind of like go ahead to experience that. And now let's work with it. Yeah. Normalize it a little bit. Yeah. And keep it inside. And now you can't, what, you know, how you help somebody that's not speaking to you. Yeah. Allow them to allow them to relate and then get it out. Because when it's stuck in the inside, it feels much bigger. It's amazing how often I'm working with someone and just them expressing what's going on in here. It is amazing how when it's inside the head and silent, it completely makes like, yes, this is truth. And then the moment they verbalize it, they're like, that is the dumbest thing I've it, ever said. It like it, pops it, the like, balloon. Let it, yes. Letting someone else's ears hear the voice inside almost helps dissipate it, it by, by itself and then obviously working through it a little bit but just being able to share it but if you in that moment had you know uh like told him to man up probably <laughs> something like that you would have shut him down and he would have sucked into he would have stayed inside of himself and uh and probably potentially would not have worked it out and it could have turned into even more issues for them. Yeah. And you lose all sorts of connection, trust. Yeah. Um, oh. so we're, so we're getting close to, to the end of the, of the, what I was aiming at for this 30 minutes, but there's one other concept I've heard you talk about that I really want to dig into. And that is self-talk and how you cannot lie to yourself. And there's, there's a way to do it, but if you don't understand the underlying mechanism of what's going on, Self-talk is lying to yourself and it's not going to work. So you've talked about how in basketball, you have to tell yourself the next shot's going in. Or, mm -hmm. or for baseball, for me, it's, you know, if you're hitting, the next one's going to be a hit. But that's yep. not, that's not going to work if you don't believe it. And for, for me, it's, if I try to focus on the results or the self-talk being the results, it definitely doesn't work for me. What is constructive, productive self-talk? What does that look like? Well, first, I, you know, I think it's really important to just also talk a little bit about kind of the, the um, pillars, let's say, of, of confidence, um, which, you know, one, and we just literally, we can't skip this and we can't overlook it, which is that you must be prepared. You, you had to have put in the time, right? Like there'd be no reason in the world for you to believe I'm going to get a hit if you haven't worked on your mechanics and haven't been in, you know, the cage many, 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 many times, right? So good reps 
matter. Uh, and then two is the idea of optimism, like building optimism. And for me, the building of optimism comes from the idea of like, hey, have I been here before? Right. Like, do I believe that we're on this like way long continuum? Like, you know, we sometimes just believe like if I'm not hitting well for the the month of whatever, that that somehow is the end of it. Like hitting is on a massive continuum. Shooting is on a massive continuum. And um, and it's interesting that you brought up both, you know, shooting and 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 hitting, because I often, you know, use those in in as examples and if you take a hitter in 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 baseball that's they a 300 hitter which at the major leagues is going to make you a, a very good hitter right but it but it also means that you're not getting hit seven out of ten times right but here's how it usually works at one point you're probably hitting around 100 and at some point you go on a tear and you're hitting 500 each of those are are a lie right? Neither of those is real. We're not going to hit 500 for the rest of the year, but we're also probably not going to hit 100 for the rest of the year. A 300 hitter by the end of a season is probably going to be about a 300 hitter by the end of the season. Fair? Fair. And so the optimism comes in the idea that like, if I'm a great three-point shooter, I mean, a great three-point shooter is somewhere in the 40 to 45% range, right? So again, missing over half. And the way it's going to look is I'm going to go on a four for four. I'm going to go on a five for five. But if I do that, I'm also probably going to go one for five or, you know, over oh five at some point. And the optimism comes in, in the ability to not go super high on the roller coaster and super low into the, you know, into the valley. It's to be able to stay here knowing that these numbers are just numbers and just let it, it's a big continuum and, and stay, you've been here, it's happened before and you've made it through. And to me, that's where great self-talk happens. Have I put in the time and have I been here before? If you can say both of those, now you can say, I believe I'm going to get a hit today when I show up, or I believe I'm going to, today's going to be the day where I make shots or my next shot, even in the middle of a game. Um, but without those things um, and reflecting on both, I don't, how are you going to tell yourself you're going to make a shot if you don't believe that you're going to make a shot because you don't have that uh, at the moment? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I love the idea that you're going to be a 100, you're going to be a 500. I always like to try to relate this to other professions and people that don't necessarily play sports, but they can take the sports mentality into whatever they want to be great at in life, whether it's sales, they have a presentation coming up, students may have a test. Before the end of every episode, I always ask every guest for the best advice they could give, either to a younger version of yourself or somebody that wants to do something great. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sports. What's what's the best advice you could give towards peak performance in general? Well, I love that. I do a little bit of work in the corporate world as well. It's not my main work, but I but I do definitely work with executives. And you know, so the the very first thing I would say is that we are all performers. Um, as I'm on here, I'm performing. When I'm speaking to a group, I'm performing. In fact, when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one sessions, I'm performing, right? This is my job. And, and there is, there is uh, and the act of, of trying to put your best foot forward. 
Um, so, and I really believe this. And so is, is that a, I think the greatest thing that anybody can do is the practice of mindfulness, which is, uh, the non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. Um, and then by actually doing mindfulness meditation practices, um, what you'll get from it is massive self-awareness. So you'll actually be able to begin to watch your thoughts. So when we talk about, um, you know, self-talk, you'll actually see what your self-talk is. And sometimes you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize how often I went to this place. Uh, how often I say things that I probably shouldn't say to myself and where I would never say to somebody that I love or care about. Um, it gives you space from the things that you say inside your own head. Uh, and it allows you to place attention where you choose to place attention, which to me is an, um, it's probably the most fundamental skill Um of all of our mental skills is to be able to choose attention. And often we're in autopilot. Um, we just go where we've always gone just because that's what my mind does. So if I had one thing for everybody and anybody, and I don't care, you know, for little kids, I would love that we did it in elementary school, just a scaled down version. And I would say the same for coaches. I would say the same for working professionals. Like start your mindfulness practice. It's, it's, absolutely the best thing you could possibly do for your mind just just to double click on that what do you mean by start the mindfulness practice what's a, a, a takeaway um so mindfulness practice would be mindfulness meditation um the the research is pretty clear that about 10 to 15 minutes a day that range is what we want to try to do consistently um and it is, uh, in this case, all I'm talking about is single focus, single point focus meditation, which is just like, I'm going to try to follow my breathing and just be completely connected to it. And when my mind gets distracted or wanders somewhere, notice it, don't judge it, just kind of notice what popped up, but without judging it, without the second part of it, which is like our own into why did I get distracted? What's wrong with me? Why am I not good at this? Right. That's that's kind of how we talk to ourselves about mistakes that we make. We put that all aside, no extra judgment, no extra talk. And we just return again and again to the present and teaching our brain to do that is, is fundamentally the strongest thing that we can possibly do for our brain. Awesome. You have, you've shared so much with us today. You've talked about self-talk, mindfulness, committing to the present, uh, giving your attention to what you can control in the process, detaching from judgment, accepting what is so many great nuggets. I really appreciate you, Stu. Thank you so much. Uh, I will have all of Stu's contact information, all of his socials, that you, where you can reach him, the new app that he has made for athletes called Do So. Check it out. Um, thank you again, Stu. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan Lavarnoy with Stuart Singer. This has been Finding the Way, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Finding the Way with Ryan LaVarnway. Find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.